On that note, who's ready for the word of God today? I like your spirit, brother. Let's go to Mark chapter 16. We're going to read the opening text that we've been in for this series, that we'll be in for the entire series to kind of spring off of. It's the Great Commission, Mark 16, verse 15. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, speak with new tongues, take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we set our eyes entirely upon you now. We came here to hear from you, Lord, not from man, but from you. Spirit of the living God, we ask you, speak today. Your servants are listening. I come against any spirit of distraction, any spirit of division. I come against any spirit of religion. I come against any spirit of fear or intimidation. We bind in the name of Jesus any and all foul spirits that might stifle or resist the work of God in people's lives today. We declare that the word of truth will be like good seed that falls on good soil and becomes the implanted word of God in people's lives. For we know that it is the truth that sets men free. And we declare that truth will reign in this place today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we've been in a series. This is uh, week two today, and the series is called The Supernatural Works of the Church. The opening verses that we started with, Mark 16, it's Mark's version or account of the Great Commission. Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascends to go back to be at the right hand of the Father in heaven. This is what he is tasking the church with carrying out the works of doing, we believe, throughout all of the eras to come until he would return. We see that Mark's account speaks about certain things. We know that Matthew has an account of the same event. Matthew speaks about raising up disciples. Mark, which we just read, talks about evangelism. He talks about casting out demons, healing, as well as praying in new tongues. And then we also see Luke's account speaking about waiting for the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit, which is necessary for these supernatural works to occur. So these are the five things that we kind of pull out of the Great Commission It's not necessarily an exhaustive list, like this is the only thing the church does. We're just saying these are some key emphasis points that Jesus obviously focuses on. So last week, well, two weeks ago, we started with part one, which was evangelism is supernatural. That was very intentional. We said that that evangelism and the gospel is the foundation of all other supernatural works. Saved people lead lost people to freedom, right? Uh, so we don't over sensationalize miraculous works. 
without focusing on the gospel as the foundation. The word of God is the foundation. Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Everything builds upright upon that. So evangelism, getting people saved, knowing Christ is our savior, that's what empowers us to actually carry out any kind of supernatural works that we would do. Jesus himself said, woe to you, Chorazim and Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. If the works that have been done in you were done in Tyre, Sidon, and in Sodom, I'm telling you, they would have repented long ago. What he's saying is, is that he's doing miracles among the people of Bethsaida, Chorazim, and Capernaum, and they're still not believing that he is the Messiah. The point indicates that even things like miracles and signs and wonders, while they draw attention, if Jesus isn't the focal point and people don't submit their hearts to him, they're still not going to experience the benefits of salvation. And so we lay the foundation two weeks ago with evangelism. Today, part two, we're getting into casting out demons is supernatural. Casting out demons And I'll just give you the rundown here again on the agenda. Two weeks from today, we're going to talk about healing. We're going to go through spiritual, physical, but also emotional or inner healing with a strong emphasis there uh, because I believe the Lord wants to do a powerful work in things that have really been wounds from people's past that they've never healed from and got free, full freedom from. Uh, And then they'll, they'll have discipleship is supernatural and praying in tongues is supernatural. So I'm really excited about this series. I said this two weeks ago. I'll say it again today for those who are new. I am very aware that there are many who are highly resistant to these kinds of things, supernatural works. I get that. In fact, there are even entire denominations that have been formed around the premise of resisting the works of the Holy Spirit. Uh, a spirit of religion has always resisted the authentic move of God. So it's really not surprising. But many of the arguments that would be brought that people have for that uh, position is that these things we can't deny are real in the Bible, but these things stopped or ended in the apostolic era or at the times of the apostles and disciples so that it never moved on beyond that particular generation. Just want to give you something to think about. We spoke around the Great Commission and the full context of what Jesus says in all three of those Gospels. He says evangelism, discipleship, casting out demons, praying in tongues, and healing. Many times when people want to resist the works of the Holy Spirit, it's the ones they're most uncomfortable with. Praying in tongues, casting out demons, and healing. You really can't get many people to say evangelism and discipleship stopped in the age of the Apostles. But contextually, all those things are packaged in together in Jesus' command. Am I making sense? So what we would say is these things are very relevant today, very necessary. In fact, we not only believe them, we contend for an expression of them. Your theology should make its way into your liturgy, which is your approach to ministry and gathering, corporate gathering, the church coming together. We should see evidences of these things happening if we believe those things. So we contend for them, but we don't force them. We don't want to over-sensationalize. We just want a genuine, authentic move of the Holy Spirit within the community of our fellowship. So we're contending and praying for that, but not looking to force that. And uh, so today, what we're going to talk about is casting out demons is supernatural. 
I'm going to give you three questions up front that we're going to ask that will put the substance of this sermon together. I'm giving them to you up front today because I want you to kind of see the arc of where we're headed. And what I really want you to do is I want you to ask yourself this question through the service. um, What am I going to do with this? (laughs) So number one is, are demons real? Number two, what do demons do? Or how do they operate? And then number three, what do we do about demons? Right? Casting out demons is supernatural. So are demons real? What do demons do? And what do we do about demons? So if these things are real, and if they're in effect today, uh, what does that mean for each and every one of us? Right? I'm not, I'm not interested in... Um, preaching an interesting sermon on the subject matter. I'm interested in exposing people to truth so that they could be equipped to walk in the fullness of freedom. And I believe that the fullness of freedom that God has for us is found in walking in the full authority that Jesus has commissioned us to carry. Let me say it this way. If we don't know these things and walk in these things, it could affect how we walk out our freedom here in this life. So number one, are demons real? What you will find if you read the Bible is that the word demon is mentioned almost 100 times. There are other words or terms that are synonymous, uh, transferable. You see the word or the term evil spirit mentioned about a dozen times. And then you also see the term unclean spirit mentioned a couple of dozen times. Those all refer to the same thing, which would be demon. The root word is daimon in the Greek, where we get the English demon from. There's also an adjective of the word demonozai, which is demonized or under the power or influence of a demon, sometimes referred to as demon-possessed. And then there is also an adjective, which is daimonode, which means demon-like or devilish. You might say, wow, that was characteristic of what a demon would do, or that sounds like something a demon would say. Making sense? So those are the versions of the word. Simply put, a demon is a fallen angel. Okay? Not going to take a lot of time to break down this theological principle, but Satan was an angel by the name of Lucifer. We call him Satan, call him the devil. Revelation makes this clear. Ezekiel makes this clear. Isaiah makes this clear that Satan was an angel in heaven that was cast out of heaven by God into the bottomless pit of the earth reserved for a day of judgment. When he was cast out for his rebellion against God, he took other angels that fell with him. Revelation says that with his tail, he drew a third of the stars. Now, we don't really know how many angels and demons there are. There are at least thousands based on things we learn from Scripture, but we would say that there are a lot. Again, simply put, demons are fallen angels. And here's the point I want you to get. They are spirit beings, not human beings. So when someone is under the influence of a demon, listen... There is still a human being and a soul and a person that God loves that is being afflicted by a demonic spirit. So demons are spirit beings, not human beings, okay? 
Just to give you a scripture on the fall from heaven, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, rulers of darkness of this present age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So Paul is, is letting believers know that the fight with demons and Satan is real. And he's saying... It takes place in the spiritual realm. What is the spiritual realm? It's the invisible or unseen realm. Frankly, this space, everything we see and touch is the natural. The Bible makes it clear it's all decaying and dissolving away. Really, the spiritual or eternal realm is more real than even the natural realm from the sense of longevity, right? So if a veil could drop, and one day it will, what we would see happening in the spiritual realm would probably produce a greater level of seriousness in us for the things that are happening in the unseen realm right now. The spiritual realm is the realm in which Satan and demons operate, But praise God, let me encourage you, it is also the realm in which the Holy Spirit and angels operate as well, right? He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What are you saying? Your battles are more spiritual than they are physical. For some people, that's news to you, and you need to hear that today. There is more happening that you need to be spiritually tuned into and aware of than even what's happening in the physical. Many times, the spiritual is the root, not the physical manifestation of what's actually going on. He also says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers. Just want to make this point to you that there are ranks of demons. There are different orders or degrees of strength. So, well, how, what do you mean and how do you know that? Well, principality, first of all, that word or term, if we were to use it to describe kind of um, a human being application, a human application, they use that term to describe those who were governors or magistrates that had authority designated to them by rightful authority over certain areas or jurisdictions, right? We know Pilate, Herod, they were magistrates. You could call them a principality from a human being standpoint. Here's what I want to tell you. There are principalities or demonic spirits that are very strong that seek to come and rest and rule over regions, areas, and communities to fill that place with darkness. Principality is also mentioned in Daniel 10, Daniel says, I saw an angel. The angel came to me. And the angel said that he heard me praying. When he heard me praying, he, be, he started to come. He was held up on his way by the prince of Persia. Another translation says the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, i.e. principality, over an entire nation and region. Then Daniel says uh, that the angel told him, while I was fighting with the prince of Persia, so angelic warfare, right? The archangel Michael, another ranking term, archangel, archangel Michael came and assisted me. We fought off the prince of Persia, and now I'm here. This is interesting. He says, I got to return. I'm going to go back and fight 
with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia because soon the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. We know several hundred more uh, centuries later, the empire of Greece comes. Very interesting stuff, right? Here's why I tell you that. You need to know that there are some spiritual battles that you are going to face that are going to be harder than others. There are spiritual battles that we, as a community, as a body of believers, are going to face that are going to be more serious than others. But we are given the authority over these things so we can reject that dominion or authority of a principality and we can bring the reign of the kingdom of heaven into our midst. Push back the forces of hell would be another way to say it. So there is a hierarchy of hell. The devil is very cunning and he is making ordered plans, sophisticated plans. Scriptures calls them schemes and devices against God's people to stop God's work through them. Let me remind you, Peter says that he does not come for any other reason except to steal, kill, and destroy. In Revelation, John says is that Satan was cast out of heaven down to the earth, and with his great wrath, he is inflicting harm on mankind. Let me translate that in a different way. He's seriously ticked off. And he has no other agenda or objective to which he has set himself to except to steal, kill, and destroy. He has an army of demons, a hierarchy of hell, and they are making ordered plans against God's people and against his ways on this earth. So let me ask you a question. If you knew that there was a terrorist or terrorist group in our community that were plotting 24 hours a day, seven days a week, how to attack and destroy all of us here and our kids in this community, would you take that seriously? I would too. In fact, our armed forces, our intelligence agencies, our government, they have spent as much as over 10 years even pursuing and hunting down one individual who might have been responsible for the orchestration and planning of the destruction of thousands of lives. Are you with me? All I'm saying is if hell is conspiring 24-7 for the destruction of God's plans, I think we need to take these things seriously. So number one, are demons real? Number two, what do demons do? What do they do? Now, I'll be the first to tell you that I'm not one of those people that's like really quick to jump and say that everything is the devil, everything is Satan, everything is a demon, right? I stubbed my toe. There's Satan again, you know, You might have just not been watching where you were walking, you know. There are natural consequences for natural reactions, right? One time, we were at a a family birthday party, and we were in a very crowded restaurant on a weekend, tons of people, long waiting list. They gave us this private room in the back, which was awesome because we had like 30-something people in our our family group, Uh, half of them are mine, and... uh, We're in the back room, separated from the rest of the restaurant. Waiters and waitresses are running around like crazy, trying to get to their tables. I mean, it's chaos, right? 
All of a sudden, we realize that my son, our youngest, Dax, uh, who's six now, he was probably three or four at the time, him and my nephew, their partners and, you know, buddy, buddy, they get loose. And they start running around the restaurant. And they're making this big circle through the private room and then out into the main floor. And they're, ah! And they're oblivious to everything else that's going on, Greg. And the waiters and waitresses, you know, they're doing all this and trying to avoid them. And so then a couple of us go out to try to catch them. A couple of my kids go out to try to catch them. It's pandemonium, right? It's just like, oh, my God. So finally, we corner them in the middle of the restaurant. Everybody's eating and it's entertainment now. And... uh, we get them, and so we got, and then my daughter, Liza, who's helping us in the pursuit, she, she stops in the middle of the floor after we get them, and she goes, Dad, Dad, Satan made them do it! <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, okay. Oh, let's just go back to the back, you know, let's just go. She's like, no, 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 Dad, you don't understand. Satan, Satan made them do it! Not my kid, okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> Satan's not behind everything. But I will tell you this, that Satan and demons, they're on a pursuit constantly. They know no other thing or have no other agenda than to afflict harm and oppress God's people. Two things, they want to keep lost people lost, and they want to put God's people back in bondage. Now, this is one you'll have to wrestle with. I'm going to introduce a thought to you, and there's a lot of theology scripture I can give you for this. I'll give you one in a minute, but here's the thought. A believer who is born again, so delivered out of the clutches of sin and death, can actually go back into a place of bondage or oppression. All right? So now I give you that thought. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul, two believers says this, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Other translations say slavery. He's not talking about losing your salvation. He's talking about giving the enemy ground back in your life to put you into bondage or oppression in any area of your life that he can get it. This is also an important point that we need to know. The enemy or demons cannot take any ground from us that we don't relinquish to them. Does that make sense? We have to give it up. Egypt is a perfect metaphor, figurative picture of this. There's a lot of teaching I could do, but I'll just say this. They were delivered out of Egypt, out of the clutches of slavery. They were head leading into the promised land. In order to occupy and possess the promised land, they had to exercise their authority, dispossess enemies of the land. There's constant mention of the people of Israel when it gets hard, when they face enemies, wanting to turn around and go where? Back to Egypt, back to slavery. It's, it's, the, it's the, uh, the thing that's most familiar sometimes is comfortable, right? Like a, a prisoner coming out of prison having struggles de- adjusting to civilian life. When people are set free, we have to continue to exercise authority, run enemies or demonic spirits out of our lives, out of our families, out of our communities, out of our regions in order to keep walking in the fullness of that freedom that God has for us. Possess your promised land right? 
And so, uh, and so we see that. But the enemy, the way he works, is, or demons work, guys, is they get a foothold in our lives. They find a crack in a door or window, and they ease their way in. And once they get in, they just keep working for more leverage to try to pry that open to get in further. Once they take ground that's been given to them, then they can stand on that ground, occupy that ground in someone's life, and oppress them or in bondage in any particular area. People could be in bondage in their area of their relationships and their finances, addictions. You know, some people can be seeing success, good success in certain areas of their lives, but be in total bondage in other areas of their lives. Very interesting. So the foothold can be given to demonic spirits or forces, uh, one, by sinful behavior. When we sin against the word of God, against his commands, choosing to do wrong, then we are giving place. We are opening a door for the enemy to get ground. Ground can also be given by not filling ourselves with the word of God. Here's why. By not filling ourselves with the word of God, which is truth. Let, let me remind you that truth will set us free by not filling ourselves with the word of God and with truth, which is the plumb line to which we apply to every area of our lives. If that's not happening, there is a vacuum, a void, and now demonic spirits can actually introduce lies that conflict with the truth of the word of God. We believe lies because we don't have truth. That gets a foothold, but then that actually turns into a stronghold. What began as a foothold then becomes a stronghold, which is a complicated or complex structure or edifice often referred to as a prison cell. <laughs> Make it sense? So then people are in bondage in an area because they keep sinning repeatedly over and over again in an area that they won't repent of, or they don't know truth, they've believed lies, and now this stronghold is the edifice or structure by which they peer through and see all of their world experiences, and then that's what they react from, which is as of a prisoner and not as a freed person. Wow. James says there's wisdom that comes down from heaven and you can test it. It's pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of good fruits, mercy, partiality, without hypocrisy. He says you can test it, but he also says that there's wisdom that's not from above. This is in chapter 3 of James. He says it's not from above. He says it's sensual and, get this, demonic. Let me go back to the adjective form of the word. Uh, demonize or devilish. Devilish or devil-like. He's saying there's wisdom, there's, there's knowledge, things that the enemy's trying to, to give us. That's, con that's conductive, conducive of what demons think and believe. That's why Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, beware of evil spirits and the doctrines of those demons. Wow, doctrines of demons? Yeah, absolutely. Lies that are intended to bring strongholds into believers' lives that would put them back into bondage. Let's look at a story really quick in Luke chapter 13. And let's see how a demonic spirit of oppression can bind someone up. We'll look at a couple of examples of how demons operate. Luke 13, verse 10. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, 
And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. So let me ask you again, what did she have? A spirit of infirmity. For 18 years, she was bent over and in no way could raise herself up. So she was, she was crippled. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Loosed. Set free. Something has been broke off of you. Okay? Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And then there's this whole part about the rulers of the synagogue having a problem with Jesus healing on the Sabbath. We'll get into that stuff another day. But jump down to verse 16. Jesus says, Ought this woman, not, ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? So here's the point. She is suffering from a physical oppression. It's got her bent over. It's got her hunched down. It's got her crippled. She can't walk. She can't stand up straight. Now, I get that there are things that are just kind of like physical stuff people deal with. Heck, the whole body is decaying eventually and is going to the dust of the earth. I get that, right? But we cannot deny that the physical oppression that this woman was suffering from, according to the words of Jesus, had a demonic root behind them. You would agree with that, right? I just read you the story. When Jesus cast the demon out, she stood up straight and her infirmity afflicted her no more. I can tell you by my own witness that I have prayed for people who I believe we have cast demonic spirits out of their lives who before that happened, they had like bad posture. They were, their back was always hurting. Their spine was always hurting. And, you know, that was important, but it, it wasn't the focal point, um, but they were always in chronic pain. And then we would pray, and then they were delivered or set free from whatever we identified was the root thing behind it, and then all of a sudden, this person had good posture again. When I would see them, their face was bright, they were standing upright, straight, it was just like all of a sudden their back wasn't hurting anymore, and a lot of that pain that was symptomatic of what I believe was going on, which was spiritual in nature, they had been delivered from. That's interesting, right? So physical oppression. But there's also mental oppression that can come along with demonic spirits having places in people's lives. Let me read you another story. This is in Luke chapter 8. Verse 26, about a demon-possessed man. So they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. So two observations, demons, it's plural, and he had them for a long time. This was years of affliction, much like the woman we just read about before. He wore no clothes, so he was a streaker, and, sorry, I, thoughts, they just, I don't know. Uh, He wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. So, this man was alive, but he was living like he was dead. He was living in tombs. Jesus saw him, and he cried out, he fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. 
for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Do you notice that he's now, it's the demon speaking is what we're referring to, not the man, right? There is a, again, a human being and a spirit being, and Jesus is talking to and addressing the demon. I love this. The demon is terrified. This is good to know. Demons are always terrified and always trembling when they're in the presence of Jesus because they know they're about ready to get tossed out. So he tells this uh, to come out of the man. Listen to this. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. This man has what we might describe as some kind of superhuman strength physically. He's breaking chains and shackles. That's not possible with human strength, yet the demonic spirit that is oppressing and influencing this man somehow is giving this kind of strength to break these chains. It also says it has drove him into the wilderness. It's another thing you need to know about demonic spirits. They're very interested in driving you away from and isolating you from the body of Christ and other believers who are interested in helping you find freedom. And this guy's been in in, uh, bondage for a long time. So then Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Legion is, it's a Greek term when it was used in Roman infantry. It indicated a unit that had like 12,000 soldiers, right? So all we can clearly infer from Scripture is that there are thousands of demons that are somehow a part of what has come and is oppressing and afflicting this man. Again, some are stronger than others, strongholds, we see that, right? Um, And he said that because we are many, remember that Mary Magdalene, Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. Another thing to keep in mind is that demons, there's a kind of like a law of attraction by demonic spirits. Oftentimes people, unless they have the gift of discernment, spiritual gift of discernment, don't really know what the demonic spirit is that they're dealing with, but the gift of discernment will show us that. But the demonic spirits are very in tune to one another. So let's say you have somebody that has given place or ground in their life in the past to a victimization spirit. Poor me, I'm a victim, I'm always... The, you know, getting the brunt in, nothing's my fault, right? And they've got a victim kind of spirit. That spirit is going to be drawn to somebody that might have a predatorial spirit, something that is uh, abusive or accusational or oppressive, right? And so those things could be drawn together. So this guy's got legion, thousands of demons. And then Jesus uh, said, verse 31, they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now I heard of many swine were feeding there on the mountain, and the demons begged him that he would permit them to enter them. So key point is that demons always want a host. They are always interested in attaching to something because they don't want to just go out into the abyss of nowhere. They're bent on always being attached to something. And he permitted them to go into the swine. And then the demons went out of the man, entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country, and then they went out to see what had happened. 
And they came to Jesus. Listen to this. They found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also had seen it told by what means he had been demon-possessed was healed. So Jesus is glorified now. But I want you to catch this. This guy who had been suffering from a mental illness, we might call that today, right? A mental illness. For him, the root was spiritual. Jesus delivers him or casts out demonic spirits that are oppressing him. And immediately, he has a sound mind. Having a sound mind, wholeness and peace, not mentally tormented, is part of the birthright of a believer. And we have the right to contend with authority for that to be the case in every believer's life that we are in fellowship with. So, really quick, I'm not going to read all these verses, but I just want you to see that physical and mental affliction or oppression is characteristic of many who are demon-influenced or demon-oppressed. Matthew chapter 9, there is a mute man who, after he is delivered from a demon, can immediately begin to speak. He can't even speak before that. Matthew chapter 12, there is a blind and mute man who, when he is delivered from a demon, immediately can both see and speak after being delivered. Again, conditions or roots are spiritual in these cases, not physical. There is a story in Matthew 17 where there is a boy, a young boy, who has a demonic spirit that throws him into the fire, makes him suffer from convulsions, and leaves him wounded and bruised afterwards. Jesus sets him free of this spirit. He is immediately healed. There is a Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 who has a little girl who it says is severely demon-possessed. She pleads with Jesus for her freedom, and Jesus delivers her of the demonic spirit. Many instances where both physical and mental infirmities are cured immediately when something demonic is dealt with by Jesus. Do you see that? And so the other point I want to make here, which we need to hear this, <laughs> um, it's, it's observation from the scripture that the demonic forces of hell are very interested in taking the next generation. I know it's something we have to wrestle with, like these are little kids dealing with demons. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe, and we'll talk a little bit more about this two weeks from now when we get into the inner healing stuff, but ancestral curses, generational curses, open doors, left open, lineages not taking authority and breaking those off. I think we, we give place in what's under our authority for something demonic when that isn't broken. But I think we cannot ignore the fact that even little kids are struggling with attacks that are coming from the demonic. We must take this seriously. The enemy and the demonic spirits are very interested in the next generation. Psalms 106, verse 36, we see a whole generation that it says, served idols and they became a snare to them. This generation sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. There's a whole abortion thing in here that I don't have time to get into right now. But they, they were worshiping demons and idols, and they were willing to sacrifice their children uh, as a lesser priority than the priority of serving these idols. So demons want to keep people from hearing the truth. You've probably heard me t- pray a lot of times in services uh, coming against a distracting spirit. 
right? What is that all about? Well, you could see even in the Bible when Jesus would preach, when Paul would preach, those who had demons would start to yell, scream out, cry out. They were trying to distract. You ever notice that? They're just trying to pull attention to themselves, but really what they're trying to do is pull attention away from Jesus. It's just a smoke and mirrors thing that's designed to not get people to hear the truth of the preaching of the Word of God. Again, to keep lost people lost and to keep believers in bondage by not hearing truth and continuing to believe lies. We see that in this particular uh, case. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 9, Moses came to the people of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So the oppression and the affliction was so intense that they couldn't even hear the truth of the word of God when Moses was bringing it to them. Again, if we're so caught up and bound in the affliction, it can make it difficult for the word of truth to penetrate, right? It's like that thing which has become calcified over much time. There is a, a sorcerer by the name of Elimus who is trying to distract the governor of Cyprus from hearing Paul and Barnabas preach truth. It does not work. Paul and Barnabas end up preaching. He gets saved. Truth prevails. But the sorcerer was using witchcraft and demonic tactics to try to prevent the governor from hearing the truth of the word of God. That's in Acts chapter 13. So, we're going to go somewhere here now today with how demons operate, and I really think that we're at a time in our culture where people need to hear this. I feel like I'm just, you know, sounding the alarm kind of thing, so to speak, and many people are already aware of this, Um, but things that are of witchcraft, that are of the demonic, that are of soothsayers, enchantments, seances, spells, horoscopes, psychics, fortune tellers, all of these things are dabbling in the occult and they are opening doors in our lives, our homes and families and communities. And if we don't think that's happening, folks, from a biblical standpoint, we are naive. (laughs) We are naive. Let me read you this in Deuteronomy chapter 18. The people of God marching into their promised land are being warned. Beware. Verse 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. That's a sacrifice to an idol of of a child. Or one who practices witchcraft... Or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, a medium, or a spiritist, one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. For all, uh, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. So here we go, driving them out. Verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you shall dispossess or cast out, interesting, dispossess, they listen to soothsayers and diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed you to such things. So I'm just going to, in a very quick moment, give you a bunch of words that are all parts of the definitions of soothsayers, sorcerers, magicians, sorceresses, all that. You ready? Soothsayer, magician, mystic, fortune teller, psychic. 
those who practice witchcraft, those who use enchantments to mystify or dazzle, those who use spirits to perform signs and wonders. It's interesting that demonic spirits are still capable of performing what some call miraculous signs. You know, a false prophet is one who is not of God, not one who would do things that people would be enchanted by. We see that many times in the Bible. In fact, when Aaron and Moses go to Pharaoh to announce the plagues are coming, the first thing that Aaron does is throw his staff on the ground and it turns into a serpent. That would probably get your attention, right? Whoa, you don't see that every day. He throws it down, turns into a serpent. You know what happened after that? Pharaoh brings his sorcerers or magicians and sorceresses in, and you know what they did? They threw their staffs down, and their staffs also turned into serpents. Hmm. Wow. So they can do signs and wonders. There's power behind these demonic spirits. I love the ending of that little part of the story, because you know what happened? Aaron's staff ate all the other staffs, ate all the other snakes up. That's the authority right there. But the magicians also performed the first two plagues. They also turned water red into blood, and they also brought in frogs, but by the third plague, they could not bring in the lice. So the authority stopped somewhere, but there is still things that are happening when these things are going on. Jesus even said, false Christs and prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders to deceive, if even possible, the elect. So a demonic spirit that's a soothsayer works and operates off of observation. They cannot read your mind. They do not have access to that ground. They cannot read your thoughts. Okay? Only God can peer into the heart of a man. However, if you speak it or if you act it, there is an awareness that has been made. And demonic spirits are known for their observation and cunning trickery. They will take and study the lives of believers and they will form trickery and craftery to make it look like through different enchantments that they are doing something that will captivate the attention of that person or bedazzle them. That's why we must know the truth and have discernment to know what is from God and what is not of God. Does that make sense? So we've got to stay away from all that kind of stuff. Anything that's like, you know, crystals in the universe and spells and potions and all this stuff that... Frankly, it's concerning to me how entertained our culture has become with these kinds of things, paranormal activity, haunted mansions and houses, of all kinds of things that I just want to like sound the alarm and be like, you are opening doors everywhere when you dabble in that stuff. Don't be enchanted. It's just trickery. Oh, but they knew things I didn't know. Yes, they're observant. They knew things they couldn't know. Yeah, they've studied you. They've they've probably been watching and hearing what you've said and what you've done. And it looks like it's something mystical, but in reality, it's deception. It's the one true God and the discernment of his spirit that we must have. Last story I'll give you on this is Acts 16. Paul is walking around. They're going to uh, a house of prayer, verse 16, uh, in chapter 16. 
It says, a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, or witchcraft. She brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Interesting. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. I love this next part. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. I love the simplicity. Sometimes we just way over sensationalize this. Let's just deal with the demonic. Let's get it on. Let's get it over with. And let's move on. Let's not celebrate them. Let's not give them attention. Let's certainly not fear them. When we deal with them, it's not everybody gather around and and see the spectacle. No, Paul's just like, I'm tired of you. In the name of Jesus, come out. Boom, it's over. Let's move on with things, right? Now this woman has been delivered from that. But here's what's interesting. After that happened... Her masters saw that her hope of profit, their hope of profit was gone. And they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace, and to the authorities, they were actually thrown into prison and arrested. So whatever demonic spirit was with this girl was actually giving her the ability to mystify and bedazzle people where they felt like she was telling their fortune or their future. When she's delivered, she's freed of that, and she can't do it anymore. And the people who employ her, John, are so upset that they want to throw Paul and Silas into prison. And they did. Now, I want you to think about something. How would you feel if there were a sorceress, which they're out there today, doing witchcraft and all kinds of demonic, devilish things, who decided that she or he wanted to get free? And they came into our church or a church. And they met faith-filled believers who took authority and cast whatever demonic spirit was in that person's life out. And then that person was free. But then that person who was employed by a formal organized institution in our economic structure generating profit could generate profit no more. And that church was sued and held liable for, for damages that had been inflicted upon that institution. Furthermore, what if the people who prayed for that person on our prayer team or those people who were in that person's life group helping that person stay strong in freedom are also being held accountable and liable for the damages that that institution has experienced. I'm just saying I can imagine such a thing. And I think we need to be tuned in to the kinds of things we're dealing with, not be afraid or fearful, but certainly be aware and wise to the tactics of our enemy. If you agree with that, say, I agree. agree. All right, so don't dabble in the occult. 1 Corinthians 10 says that we are not to have fellowship with demons. Last point, number three. I know we're going a little over today, so forgive me for that. What do we do about demons? Well, Mark 16, we opened up with, it tells us right there, we cast them out. To cast out means to dispossess. It means to run out. It means to lift off. It means to reverse authority. Let me say it this way. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are meant to crush the feet, the head of serpents. Your enemy is under your foot. 
cast out, run off, dispossessed from any ground that any demonic spirit has taken. We have the right and authority to do that, and Jesus has commanded the church, the spiritual institution that is formed with his spirit, do these things. Do these things so that people can know freedom. Destroy the works of the devil in our lives, families, communities, and regions. Full freedom is the goal. Jesus says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Free means to be unshackled or liberated from bondage. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom is the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven reigning among us. It's the atmosphere. Freedom. When the kingdom is reigning and resting in our lives, in our communities, in our land... Freedom is the atmosphere that the kingdom of heaven is producing. And we must not only live free, but lead others to freedom. Freed people lead people in bondage to freedom. It's that simple. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Be liberators for this freedom that you enjoy, right? We're not okay, satisfied. I'm very, I'm not okay with people being in bondage around me. I want to do something about that. I want to help them find freedom. We must close any open doors. It's a big one. Stop sinning. Repetitive sin that we have not repented for or that we're continuing to do can lead to strongholds in our lives. I love this. In Acts 19, after they learned about the truth of God, they've been practicing witchcraft in their community. Listen to this, verse 19. Many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted up the value and totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. They burned every book that they had because they're like, oh my gosh, that's demonic. That's witchcraft. That's not of God. We don't, we, we're purging this stuff from our community that it may not reside among us and leaven any of the fellowship who are here. You get that? We must expose the works of darkness, and there is strong resistance to those who do. You know, I just I can't get away from the stuff where it's like the Lord leads me. And it's like, man, we need to we need to share these things in our in our culture today. People need to have their eyes open to these things. So exposing works of darkness is something that we are supposed to do. When something remains in the dark, it re, it keeps power. When it's brought in the light, it begins to lose its grip. That's why the next thing is so important: confessing our sins to one another. You know, pride is one of the things that can keep people bound the most. Because some people, they think, well, I'm a believer. They think, there's no way that I could be in bondage. There's no possible way that I could have an open door in my life. And there's not a willingness to humble themselves, confess to one another, be transparent, acknowledge that they may have opened a door or committed a sin at some point, or they're struggling with a sin that they can't get free from, even though they've been trying everything they know, and there's absolutely nothing that they can do about it themselves anymore. If they stay in pride and won't humble themselves, they're, continu- they're going to continue to be bound. Jesus makes it clear that once we get free, we have to continue to fill ourselves with truth. 
He says, he gives this example, if you cast a demon out of a person, this is in Matthew 12, cast a demon out of a person, that demon's going to go find other demons and it's going to return. And when it returns, if it finds a house that's well swept and empty, then it's going to actually come with seven demons, stronger ranks again than it, and the, the state of that person is worse off in the later than in the former. What that means is that if we take authority over demonic things in people's lives, they have to pursue truth and be filled with the truth of the word of God. Stay in the word. Join biblical fellowship and community. Continue to seek truth because if they don't and they go back to the things that they were already involved in before, they're actually leaving themselves in a greater level of vulnerability for that stronghold to form again when those spirits return. So when we do this, we want to make sure that people are directed towards how to walk out that freedom. We cast out the demon, we disciple the person. That's very important. Cast out the demon, we disciple the person. So I want to close today with this. I want you to just ask yourself right now, ask the Holy Spirit, I should say, to just maybe speak to you, reveal to you. And he will. If you're a child of God, Jesus says, my sheep, they'll know my voice. Be tuned in. The spirit of conviction I have found is usually very quick. It's what we do with that determines how sensitive we are to it beyond that point. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you, to possibly illuminate for you any area of your life that you might have had an open door, that you may still have an open door, some ground the enemy is standing on that needs to be taken back, some sin that you're struggling with that you can't seem to get free from. Maybe it's something that's still hidden and totally in the dark that nobody else knows about. Whatever it is, I'm here to tell you today that you can find freedom. I was on my way up to preach this same message last week at our other campus, and I'm, Katie says that uh, sometimes I'll just be talking and I'll like talk out loud when I'm praying and talking to God, and I think I'm just doing it in my head, but she's like, no, you, you, you talk out loud, you know, it's weird. Um, and so I'm driving up there, and I was thinking about this message, and I just kept feeling the Lord say, people are going to get free, people are going to get free, people are going to get free. And it's just real beautiful out that morning. The sun's shining. The crops are real lush and vibrant. And I just was like, I don't know, if something came over me. I was like, I smell freedom. And I had a couple of my kids with me, and my daughter Alyssa, she was in the passenger seat, and she goes, Dad, did you just say I smell Fritos? Dad, what did you do? Like, no, I didn't even realize you heard me, but I said, I smell freedom. So let me ask you this. Do any of these things resonate with you? Is the Holy Spirit possibly speaking to you or convicting you when I say any of these things that could be demonic spirits, they could be sinful patterns, they could be open doors, unforgiveness, Anger and rage, a spirit of addiction. This can be with legal or illegal drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, food, a spirit of lust or sexual immorality, a spirit of greed, a spirit of bitterness, a lying spirit, compulsive lying, just can't seem to stop lying, envy and jealousy, never happy with what one has, always wanting something else. Hatred, just an un, 
unspeakable kind of hate for things and people. Despair. Suicidal thoughts want to die, don't want to remain on this earth. Pride. Witchcraft. Dabbling in the cult. Played with a Ouija board before. Any of those kinds of things. A spirit of guilt and shame. Condemnation. That you're not worthy. You don't deserve God's forgiveness, His grace. You don't deserve to be in community with people who are of God. Night terrors and nightmares. Being tormented in your mind at night. Over and over, it's chronic. Worry and anxiety, stress that becomes chronic to the point of physical infirmities. Suicidal abandonment or an orphan spirit, feeling rejected, abandoned. A mother or father who wasn't there in your childhood, struggling with feelings of acceptance, always feeling rejected, carrying the orphan spirit that instead of the, the spirit of adoption that comes from Abba Father. Insecurity, never secure in your own identity and who you are in Christ, always trying to be something else for fear of man. Fear, fear of death, fear of many different things, fear of loss, fear of abandonment, or mental type of anguish and torment, mental illness. When I say those things, is there anything that the Lord is speaking to you? Or is there possibly something beyond that that he's been speaking to you? My encouragement to you today is to submit whatever that area of your life is to the Lord and take your life back. Gain freedom. Let's push the enemy out of whatever ground that he may have taken. Anything that's not of God that we would deal with. Two weeks from today when we get into healing, we're going to talk about inner healing. We can, we can take the knife out, but the wound still has to heal over time, we get rid of whatever the demonic spirit might be that's causing the affliction, but there is often still a need for Jesus to come and heal some of those inner wounds of our past. But today, I just want to give you the opportunity that we would deal with these things this morning before anyone leaves. So let's just bow our heads, kind of close our eyes. And again, you, you have to be willing to acknowledge humble yourself to say, I think I've opened a door. I've got an open door. There's something I can't get free from. Can I suggest to you that 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 absolutely does not make you a bad person? It's very possible that you're a significant threat to the enemy. And he's launching every attack that he can to keep you from finding freedom. He's lost the battle for your soul if you know Christ. But if he can keep you in bondage in an area of your life, he'll absolutely do that because he'll compromise your destiny.